Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1? We're going to be in the 29th verse. This will be an odd Sunday in the middle of summer, six months away from Christmas to read the birth story of Christ or the beginning of the birth story of Christ. But I want us to do anyways. Luke chapter 1, verse 29. If you are unfamiliar, most of you probably are not, but maybe a few of you are unfamiliar with the story of Jesus Christ. He has prophesied first to a couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah that Jesus is coming. And then an angel comes to Mary and tells Mary that she's carrying in her room the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Upon hearing that news comes our passage. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Then Mary responds, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors to hate to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I believe that sin is a distortion. It's a distortion where we place our praise. Do you, ever, do you guys ever remember when your parents couldn't do anything wrong? I love that we have the younger kids with us this morning because right now these kids uh, are thinking about their parents in the way that I thought about my dad when I was in third grade. You remember that? You remember when you were younger and your parents were like these heroic figures? Now, not everyone comes from a family in which uh, they look upon their parents as heroic figures, but many of us can remember that time or someone that we do. In third grade, uh, we used to fight really weird. We had a couple ways that we would fight with each other that were just strange ways. Maybe, John, maybe you did this when you were younger. Did you ever... <laughs> when we wanted to fight with one another in, in elementary school, we would puff out our chest, okay? And we wouldn't use our fists. We would just, like, run into each other with our chest. 
And that was how we would fight. We would prove each other's strength by who could like knock each other back with just our... But as we... That, I remember doing that in like kindergarten specifically, a little bit in first grade. But then we graduated in the ways that we fought and we developed, our brains developed and we began to use argumentation in our fighting. And I remember passionately arguing when I was in third grade that my dad could jump off the Sears Tower because that was like the tallest building in the late 80s, okay? Or at least the tallest building that I knew about in the late 80s. That my dad could jump off the Sears Tower and land on an alligator on his nose. And I believed it, man. I believed it. I was passionately, you, you can't imagine me passionately making an argument, okay? I am like beating the desk. I'm spitting all over my peers, right? I am passionate that this is what my dad can do, right? Oh, man, do you remember the, the, these days in which we have these lofty views of what our heroes can do, right? Whether your heroes are your parents or maybe it's the president of the United States. It's somebody, right, that you just know they can do all things. And so you place your praise and your belief and your trust But here's the deal, right? What happens when they fail us? When I was 15, uh, I was was driving. uh, I had my permit, so I was driving to school, and Dad was riding with me. And I'll never understand, Nathan, why Dad took that time to tell me his life's sins. But he felt like, hey, this is a good time, good as any. Here you go, Jake. I'm going to wreck your worldview right now. And that's the day I realized, right, <laughs> figuratively at least, that my dad couldn't jump from the Sears Tower and land on an alligator on his nose. And my dad wasn't who I thought he was. Not that he's not a good, great, godly man, but my dad wasn't superhuman and he's not perfect. And this figure that I placed, right, all of this praise came crashing down in an instant. What happens when people fail us? What happens when the people you place your praise in, right? And by praise, I think what I mean is the people you place your trust in, thinking that one day they're going to earn your praise. What happens when they break your trust? The artist that paints this icon, his name is uh, Andrei Rublev, and he's a 15th century Russian artist. And this is the icon of the Trinity. And some people believe that when this, when this icon was made, that originally, and it might be hard for you to see way back in the back, but there's a little square right here. Some people believe that that square actually had an adhesive on the original painting that there was an adhesive on this square, and that the square actually is not a paint, it's, a, it's not painted, it's stained. It's stained where the adhesive had fallen off and worn off. And what was adhered to this part of the painting, some of you know this, what was it? It was a mirror. What was the, the front of that altar table or at that table where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are sitting is a mirror. To where Rublov, what he was trying to communicate in this icon is that God sees you at the table. That when God sits down to have communion with God, when the Father, the Son, and the Spirit 
have this mutual dwelling and relationship that, Julie, that God sees you as the fourth quadrant of this relationship. Hmm. I mean, can you, Mark, can you kind of, I know it's kind of abstract, but can you kind of imagine that this is exactly what's happening in the garden? When God creates, the Genesis author uses plural language for God in the creation account. And so there's already this idea that there's not one but three that's creating. And not just three that's creating, but three that creates a fourth. And that fourth is now invited into the same table of participation with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Andrei Rublov, when he paints this, invites us to think about ourselves in ways that are near impossible. Who are we to have a seat at that table? You see, I think, Joyce, what sin does Sin makes us think very differently about our relationship with God. It distorts our understanding of belonging to the table of God. It creates an isolation. See, what what sin does is tells us that you aren't worthy of that mirror. Sin might actually tell us that the reason that Adisa fell off is because Rublov got it wrong. And we don't belong at the table with the Lord. The sin in the story of Garden of Eden wasn't that they weren't good enough. Now come on, now listen to this. Listen now, I can't explain why this word comes at the time that it comes, but it's here. The sin in the story of Garden of Eden wasn't that they weren't good enough. No, by faith we proclaim they weren't just good, they were very good. But they didn't have trust in that goodness. They did not trust the relationship within creation. You see, God gave them responsibilities. And they talked with one another. And they communed with one another. And they had relationship with one another. Their creation was about knowing their communion with one another. I just think it's brilliant to think about the first garden story and to think about these three characters walking hand in hand with you, Kevin, communing with you, saying over you, you belong here. You belong here. We've created you to belong here. You see, the sin comes in when Adam and Eve didn't trust that communion. And they thought maybe that there was a shortcut way or a better way to establish their meaning, to validate their purpose, to make themselves somehow um, confirm their importance upon this garden and in this creation. I can be great if, I can really make people notice me if, they didn't trust God to provide for even the needs of their ego. And so, it's not God that created the distance between this table and us. No, I think we're really good at doing that ourselves. 
I don't think it's God that gets so angry at us that he leaves us in the garden to close ourselves with fig trees and God turns his back on us and goes to a place that's more holy than we could ever be. And from his back turned to us in the garden tells us to get right or go to hell. Huh? I just don't think that's God. And if you're a young person listening today, I want to reiterate that I don't think God is angry at you. I don't think God is mad at you at all. I think God has a mirror up in heaven and he's waiting for you to see that you belong with him. That you were made for that communion. That you were made for that table. I think the hard work, Miriam, is trusting that we belong to a God that can heal in the 21st century. I think it's really hard for us to trust that any of this jargon is actually true. I think what you're struggling with right now as I preach isn't necessarily that you don't like my speaking style. It's that the content in which I'm speaking that to you just seems like what you do on Sunday morning and doesn't actually seem true at all. I think that's the biggest struggle because I know that's my biggest struggle. And if you're a doubter, welcome. I'm a doubter. See, I think sin isn't about your performance. It's not about what you don't do well. It's that it's really hard to trust you belong there. It's really hard to trust that in the midst of all your flaws, that God still calls you child. So I think the greatest sin for us is to go week after week to church and it not make a single difference because we can't trust that we're good. And so we work hard and hard and we work harder to prove our worth within a relationship that just wants us to see ourselves within it. When God creates... It's not that there hasn't been a place for us. And so he sends Jesus to take on all of our sin so that Jesus can hurry up and clean up the spot at the table so you can belong. To to scoot down and to create a fourth seat. Oh no. It's not that when God created that there wasn't a place for you. No, there was a place all along, friend. All along from the very beginning, there was a place. There's never been a day in which there hasn't been a fourth seat at the table. But sin will make you blind to your invitation to the table. There's been a place set for you since the beginning of creation. But sin, and when I say sin, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about having sex before marriage. When I say sin, I'm not talking about cheating on your wife or your husband. When I say sin, I'm not talking about saying the F word. That's how I was raised. I was raised that sin was what you did. No, I'm talking about your heart and what you trust. Do you trust that God the Father created you to live like Jesus the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you trust that? Because when we stop trusting that, anything you do will be sin. So I think sin makes us blind that we belong to the table. 
I promised you to shorten this up, so sorry if the intensity just came out super strong. <laughs> In my mind, as I was preparing this, this felt like super hopeful to me, but now as it's coming out my mouth, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, let, me, let me try to find the hope in all this. I, I, I think that sin and grace, because what, if our first parents taught us anything, our, fair, our first parents taught us how to trust only in ourselves. So how about we stop calling it sin, because I think that's such a heavy word for us. I think we all need to go to therapy after this. Like such a, if you've been raised in the evangelical church, it's such a heavy word that we're like, Pastor, please stop. I'm going to die. All right. So let's call it mistrust. I think mistrust or is it distrust? Is it mistrust or distrust? What is it? Does it matter? Okay. I think that mistrust and grace are at opposition to one another. And when we're living a life of mistrust, it's hard to recognize the embrace of grace. So we work harder to prove ourselves. We work harder to prove ourselves to the church. Look, look, I can belong here. Or we stay away from the church because we're afraid we don't belong there. I was at H&M this week and I saw a young, I saw a young person. I was, I, was, I was petrified because this, this young person was, um, I think this person was trying to decide who, who, who they are. And uh, their appearance looked very ambiguous. And so my daughter, with a very loud voice, says, 10 feet from this person, Daddy, is that a boy or girl? Oh, Lord have mercy. I, 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 first God, I didn't have a gun because I just, I would have ended it. And that just would have been it. It was horrible. It was horrible. Um, Daddy, is that a boy or girl? And so I made my way up to saying, please, God, I hope, I hope they didn't hear that. Um, but I think they did. And I was petrified, and I tried to change the conversation. And uh, I, I asked, hey, did you hear the song that was just playing? And the song was, uh, it had the lines of, sanctify me with your body. And, and I was really interested with that line of thought. And so I, I asked the person, um, I said, the song had the lyric, sanctify me with your body. Do you remember that? And, and, and this person like kind of kicked back as he heard me use language that I, I think they understood. I think at some point this person had heard the word sanctify, had heard the word redeem, and recognized these words as religious words because this person began to get cold, pulled away, and looked at me and goes, I wouldn't know anything about that. I was like, no, no, it's a secular song. It's not a Christian song. It just uses religious language. But I didn't say anything. And, and then we, 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 we tried, I tried to continue the conversation on, and it just became apparent that, he, that, that this person had already assigned me as one that probably came to convert, right? And that religious language had nothing to do with the journey that this person was on. See, I think what happens when we stop trusting that God is in the presence of this person trying to figure out their gender, that when we start believing that God 
stands on the outside waiting, kind of like my daughter, right? Waiting for this person to pick a gender. (laughs) Yeah. Then we believe the church has nothing to say to us because we have to get it right before we ever enter the doors. Man, my heart breaks because the person would not have understood it, but I wanted to leap over there and give them a hug. They would have called 911. I wanted to leap over there and give a hug and said, you don't have to figure it out. It's okay. You are loved. And God calls you very good. And I believe that the Spirit of God is alive in you working it out. No, no, no don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I, I believe deeply that God has a purpose and desire for all of us, an end, right? In which we will be exactly the image God wants us to be. But you all, it doesn't have to be figured out at H&M on May 31st. It just doesn't have to be figured out right now. I think what the sin is, is that we stop trusting that God is with us in the mess of our lives. Meaning when we don't know if we're boy or girl, can't we have the faith to say that God is still with us, wooing us, as if he's in the garden walking alongside us. That's incredible faith, you all. That's incredible faith. Because we're taught by the evangelical church that we can't talk like that. That we have to demand responsibility for your actions and your choices before God will love you. But that's just wrong, friends. I think the sin is we stop trusting that God loves us right where we are and that God is bringing us to salvation and redemption. So for those that are wanting me to hear me say transformation, oh, buddy, you can't walk with Jesus without being transformed. You can't. But you got to trust that Jesus actually exists first. You got to trust <laughs> that God loves you and that God is with you. So, how does this all, how in the world did we get there from Mary and Elizabeth? My goodness, how did we get there? Well, I just want to say a few things. Mary believes that God rests rest within the womb. Of her creation. Mary believes upon hearing the news that from the very beginning that God lived in creation, meaning that God lived in her womb right then, right there. That there's not a place that God doesn't go. And Mary just believes, just believes that the God who said God would come, that that God had somehow come within her. And that that God was somehow present and living within her. And so she runs off to her cousin's house. And together within the community of faith, they affirm that God can do what God said he would do. And they begin to affirm and uh, congratulate and celebrate one another with the confidence that God can even live within peasants' bellies. Church, I... If I would have known the phone call that I was getting, you have to understand that I would not be preaching on this passage today. Because I'm a human being too, even though I stand before you as your pastor, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that I'm talking about God living in the womb of Mary as we just came across this news. I think sin 
band can come. I, I think sin would be to think that Jacqueline and Nate aren't in that mirror right now. And that God, the same God that was with Mary, isn't in Jacqueline's womb too. And that God, even through death, Psalm 139, even in the depths of Sheol, you were there. That even in the depths of her womb, if it's turned to death for Charlotte, that God is there. And that God has a redemptive plan in spite of the brokenness in which we live. Can we be patient and trustworthy that this God of redemption is walking with us? The whole point of this sermon was to get to a challenge, right? right? So, so you all walk out of here with marching orders. You're like, yeah, pastor gave you something to do. And it was to be bold. It was to be bold in your trust. Could you imagine a world in which you lived in and which you walked into St. Luke's East with boldness? Not answers, Mike. I'm not talking about answers. I don't have answers for you. This seems as wrong as wrong can be. This seems as messed up as messed up can be. If there's reason not to believe in God, this would be the reason. I get it. I understand. You're not alone. It's not wrong to think like that. But I think the power of faith in the 21st century is it teaches us to live a different way. And I think God is inviting us not to live in doubt. It's okay to doubt, but I think God invites us to live in faith in boldness that our God is in communion with Charlotte Mace as we speak. And so can you imagine a world in which you go into your coworkers and you show up in your office with a boldness, not that you know everything. My goodness, Christians, let's knock it off. We do not know everything. But boy, we can walk with a boldness and a trust that our God does know everything. And that our God will figure it out. Could you imagine how different this world would look if we walked with love and boldness? That our God is wooing people even as they look so different that we can't even recognize them. But we trust that God recognizes them. So, friends, that's my prayer over you today. That's my prayer over our community today, Ron. (laughs) Is that though we may be (laughs) somewhat insignificant in number when compared to the rest of Lee Summit, (laughs) that we would somehow learn to walk in boldness in Lee Summit. That our Father knows us. That our Father has a promise and a purpose. And that we can be bold within this promise that God wins this story no matter how messed up the world may be around us or how messed up circumstances might be. But we can be bold and confident that God will provide a way. What arises, Julie, out of Mary's boldness to believe that in her womb was God's promise was a song of praise. I think that if we would begin to live bold, which I think a lot of us do, then let me just tell you real quick, you all, you live bold, okay? So this ain't, this is what you're doing wrong, now do it right. No, you all live good. 
But if we can continue to live bold lives, praise arises out of the faith in God's promise, not out of a cool new song that we're singing. Praise is the trust that God invites us around the table. I long for that young person at HNN to hear the praise of New Beginnings Church. And the praise would sound like this. God is for you and God loves you. (laughs) My God is for you and my God loves you. I would love to hear the praise of New Beginnings Church begin to infiltrate into areas of our city that are growing with sex trafficking. And the praise would sound something like this. God loves you and God is for you. God has transformation for you and you belong at God's table. That's what praise and worship sounds like that Rublev had it right all along, that we belong at the table.